This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to developing voices of color in the beauty industry. We are talking to estheticians, skin specialists, and business owners to uncover best skin practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillips. This week on Fearless Beauties, we're chatting about another chapter in the Fearless Beauties book, Transgender Skin. And we're going to be discussing it in depth, so just the two of us. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. Transgender skin is different because of the hormonal regimens that trans clients are on, the emotional stress that they're under during that process. It's an enormous change that affects every aspect of their life. The hormones also affect emotions and clients can be more emotional. Taylor, can you spend a little bit of time talking about the emotional process of transitioning? Of course. So I've done a ton of studies and written a ton of papers on transgender people during my grad degree. So when it comes to transitioning, being transsexual means that a transgender person has agreed to transition their anatomical characteristics to suit the gender they identify with. So this change is done by hormone treatment and sex reassignment surgery, a definite controversial and cultural issue that transgender people have to face. Although the outcome is usually positive, some transsexuals become depressed or regret the procedure. Also, the expense of transitioning can be burdensome because insurance companies provide little to no financial assistance. So another issue transsexuals face is gender identity disorder, otherwise known as gender dysphoria. So research defines gender dysphoria as a strong and persistent incongruence between one's experienced and assigned gender. Social isolation, rejection, and exclusion from society can lead to depression, anxiety, and self-harm. Unfortunately, some medical providers view transgender identity as a mental disorder. So this population feels unwelcome and victimized when seeking mental or physical help. Now, victimization is a type of gender minority stress. And because of this, transgender persons are at a higher risk of suicidality and substance use problems. So suicidality is basically when a person is either attempting to commit suicide or is thinking about it. Unfortunately, there is not a ton of research, but what is known is that there is more to gender identity than having male or female genitals. So the question is, does a person feel like a man or a woman? There are both genetic and cultural aspects of gender identity development. So transgender people, they make up a small percentage of the population. They have the anatomy of one sex, but the gender identity of the other. So for instance, a person who was born a male, but feels as though they're a female, that could bring a lot of emotions. This also ties into the biggest misconception that skincare professionals have about transgender skin. They think if a person is transitioning male to female, they'll view the skin as male and vice versa for female to male transitioning. But it's really more than that. Male skin has specific characteristics, 
like a steady loss of collagen throughout the person's lifetime, rather than a large loss during menopause like women have. Men also have a thicker dermis, larger pores, and sebaceous glands. Women have finer textured skin, smaller pores, and a thinner dermis. As a person who's transitioning has that transformation hormonally, the skin undergoes enormous changes as well. You as a skincare professional are going to have to get to know the skin all over again with every medication and hormone change. And you're going to have to layer that on top of any other medical conditions that they might have or medications they're taking or lifestyle concerns. It's safe to say that there is a lot that goes into treating transgender skin. What I have also learned is before sex reassignment surgery, there are psychological and physical evaluations to make sure transsexuals are completely ready for this life-changing experience. So research says that they must spend one to two years living as the other sex, just to make sure that they can function in life as the opposite sex. And then next comes hormone treatments, and that begins the initiation of bodily change. So male to female transsexuals are given estrogen and androgen blockers to distribute fat into a more female pattern and to decrease erections and possibly enlarge breasts. And then they undergo electrolysis and laser treatment to remove their beard, while female to male transsexuals are given androgens to grow a beard, deeper their voice, and distribute fat into a more male shape. So once hormone treatments are completed, the risky but psychologically beneficial process begins of sex reassignment surgery. So I know we've started talking a little bit about hormonal changes, but Mary, how can the influx of new hormones change the way the skin behaves? Well, the skin and our hormones are so integrally tied together. That balance of estrogen and testosterone affects the pore size, oily or dryness, hydration, the growth of hair, and fat deposits. Among transgender men in transition, testosterone is used to suppress the female sex characteristics. The drug usually is given through a weekly injection, although there is a longer lasting drug that's sometimes used off label and it's given every 12 weeks. But within three months of starting hormone therapy, your client will have increased facial and body hair, increased acne, changes in fat distribution, libido, and muscle mass. The hormone injections are going to affect the skin with the development of acne. So more sebum is being produced. The pores become larger. Skin texture isn't as fine. And then your client will go through numerous dose changes with those hormones, so the skin will react to that. Acne treatments can help, but you really have to make adjustments as your client's skin gets into a balance over time. Among transgender women, the hormone therapy will change fat distribution, reduce male pattern hair growth and increase breast size, and experience loss of erectile function. Estrogen is the main hormone, but that has to be balanced with other testosterone-inhibiting medications in order for the estrogen to work effectively. Spironolactone is a common medication prescribed to suppress testosterone. Spironolactone, interestingly, it's also used to treat polycystic ovarian syndrome. Spironolactone use has a side effect of high blood potassium levels, and your client could experience weakness, irregular heartbeat, 
nausea, muscle cramps. The initial hormone therapy could take 18 to 24 months and your client's dosage is going to be adjusted. Their skin is going to become smoother and finer and it might actually become overly dry. So you might need to include treatments that are going to hydrate the skin while the body's working to get into a balance. Trans men and women go through a lot of emotional, psychological, bodily, and hormonal changes, to say the least. And I think that should all be taken into consideration when SDs are meeting their transgender clients for the first time during the consultation. So let's talk about it. Mary, what do estheticians need to cover in their consultation with transgender clients? Well, at first, you might not even know your client's transgender because you can't tell someone's transgender just by looking at them. And the negative experiences that they have had with medical professionals could also make them a little bit hesitant to even reveal that information to you. But adapting your client intake and history form to ask all of your clients to indicate their gender identity might give you an indication that your client's transgender if they don't disclose it. A lot of transgender clients have experienced negative interactions when they reveal their transgender. They can feel shamed or ridiculed or discriminated against. So editing your intake form to ask about what pronoun they would like to be used can be a first step toward helping them feel accepted. Taylor, what other ideas do you have about how to build that trust relationship? Well, I love how you mentioned editing the intake form to ask about pronouns because that has inclusivity written all over it. But to build trust with transgender clients, you have to be inclusive. It's imperative. There's no way to go around it. I know we've talked about gender roles and language in a few episodes and how it impacts gender development, such as boys learning not to cry and be tough and girls learning that it's okay to cry. But one issue with language is the lack or misuse of inclusive language. Specifically with transgender people, it is disrespectful to not call them by the gender they identify with. Also, not using the proper pronouns is negating their gender identification. But we will be discussing pronouns in just a little. So overall, I think just treating transgender people like human beings is important. Like I always say, get the education needed to treat their skin with confidence. This will avoid them feeling even more marginalized than they already are in the world. Well, another indication that your client's transgender is the medication that they're taking. Hormones, you know, are a good example. We've talked about that. But women might be taking hormone supplements or replacements for any number of reasons. Hormone imbalances to ease the symptoms of menopause or possibly because your client's transitioning. So you can say, I see you're taking hormones. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? The reason I'm asking is that hormones can affect the skin and treatment, and we want to avoid any kind of side effects. That's a good conversation starter because it explains to your client why you're asking those questions, and that makes them feel a little bit more comfortable, I think, and builds some trust. Yeah, and I think bringing it out in the open when they may not want to discuss it or they're trying to keep their gender identity or the fact that they're taking hormones a secret, that may help them feel comfortable with the fact that their esthetician is capable of still treating their skin and that it isn't uncomfortable or abnormal in any way. It really helps build that foundation for a safe space. Well, and I think that estheticians need to remember that their client is more than transgender. I mean, they're a whole person. 
So consultation needs to include the same kinds of questions about diet and lifestyle and activities and medications and allergies and the same kind of things that you cover in a consultation with a person who's not transgender. 100%. So more about the consultation. What sensitivities do estheticians need to remember when referring to a transgender client, gender and pronouns? Asking which pronoun your client prefers also sends an important message. If your client's transitioning from male to female and prefers to be referenced as a she, it's critical, really critical that you remember to use that pronoun. Then referring to your client's significant other as spouse or partner, it's more appropriate than using boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband, wife. I mean, it's really, really important. I've had to work really hard with students and staff to make using the right pronoun an essential part of the communication. It was a learning experience for all of us when the transgender community began to schedule in our student clinic. We had clients in tears. They were very, very upset when students would refer to the client by the wrong pronoun, or as the client's transition went on, the client might start coming in with one name and then change to another name, but sometimes they wanted to be referred by one name, but they hadn't legally changed their name yet. So we had to find a system where we could find their chart or their treatment record. And sometimes it was a little dicey in the waiting room because a student would call out the client's name and take them back to the treatment room. So just remembering that pronoun and the proper names are really important. But Taylor, I know that a lot of your education has focused on and and you've gained expertise with the LGBT community. So what can you tell us about that importance of using the right pronoun and the right name? Yeah, so transgenders and transsexuals, they struggle for awareness and acceptance. There has been research that mentions how much transgenders have fought to clarify their separate identity apart from gay men and lesbians. So therefore, it is important to respect their rights and address them appropriately as a culture. Another issue with language is the use of improper language in professional settings. And you just kind of spoke about that, Mary. Not understanding the importance of maintaining cultural competence regarding terminology specific to the transgender culture can pose a challenge to estheticians. So for instance, with transgender clients, an SD would not know which pronouns to use towards their client or whether to ask their client's pronouns. Research says that when working directly with transgender clients where their identity is not immediately apparent, providers may be reluctant to ask direct questions for clarification. So this desire to get it right may impact the professional relationship. Therefore, education and culturally competent language and creating an inclusive environment for clients will ensure satisfaction and positive outcomes all around. So let's quickly discuss how SDs can make their transgender clients feel as comfortable as possible. Well, you have to be prepared for modesty when treating your transgender client. They have already endured negative comments on this journey, and they need to be in a safe place when they're receiving your services. A client coming in for hair removal services as they're transitioning really needs your respect. The gender reassignment surgery might not be complete, so giving them extra privacy while they're undressing to don a spa gown or a robe, and then appropriate draping is going to help relieve some of the anxiety. 
not all of it, but it will help. Even though we have a no extra people in the treatment room policy, we found that the emotional aspect of treatments in the genital area, either hair removal or skin rejuvenation, can be really traumatizing. So we've allowed clients to bring in a support person. Someone who's transitioning male to female and has been on a hormone regimen, they've changed their name to a more female-recognized name, and they're dressing in clothing that's identified as a female, but they still have male genitalia, can be really, really distressing when they go through those intimate treatments. You can build a level of trust by respecting your client's privacy, also not discussing their treatments or your experience with them to other clients or even other staff. I mean, I think it's a professional responsibility. So Taylor, what else should they be doing to make their clients feel comfortable? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, Mary. But what I think is important to remember is, like you mentioned before, that transgender people are people, period. They want to be treated equally and not like this human experiment. So I would say to just remain calm and comfortable as the esthetician. Just remember your facial expressions, although we'll be wearing masks for a while, but I mean, people could still notice raises of the eyebrow, okay? So just make sure that you're treating transgender people like the men or women they identify as. So let's move on to skin diseases and disorders for transgender skin. What common skin disorders do estheticians need to look out for when treating transgender clients? And Mary, what are the causes? I think recognizing that hormone therapy involved in transitioning is very expensive. Uh, I know of two transitioning people who shared one prescription. There's a lot of black market hormones involved. Wow, that is so sad. And like I mentioned earlier, the expense of transitioning can be a huge burden because insurance companies, they don't provide any financial assistance. Cosmetic injectables, they're also a black market product that your client might be using to acquire facial features that appear more like the gender that they identify with. So dermal fillers are really expensive. One syringe of filler is a fifth of a teaspoon. And one syringe of filler can cost a minimum of $500 to $600. That injection is gonna last from four to five months, maybe a year. So female to male clients are gonna be getting dermal fillers to broaden the jawline. And then male to female clients might be getting dermal lip fillers to enhance their lips. It's really expensive. A common but not frequent negative reaction from dermal fillers is granulomas. Granulomas are hard cyst-like lumps that form when the body's immune system reacts to a foreign substance by creating a thick shell around it. Your transgender client may have infections or granulomas from these kinds of treatments. Granulomas and infections really need to be treated by a medical professional. I did have a question for you, Mary. Have you ever had a transgender client come to you with granulomas that you've had to refer out? No, but I've had a, a cis female come to me with a granuloma that I had to send her to her medical professional for. That's pretty unfortunate. Well, it's just one of the risks of getting dermal fillers. Anyway, transgender women, they also have a higher incidence of lupus and autoimmune disease. This is usually because of a long-term estrogen therapy. 
So lupus can then affect the cardiovascular system and kidney function. So you're going to have to be aware of those possibilities. The skin might be really sallow and poorly oxygenated. So maybe some oxygen infusion treatments could be a good option. Yeah, and this is where education really comes in handy as an esthetician. You must know all of the possible adverse effects that can occur from hormonal treatments. Yeah, and you know, sadly, transgender women have a higher incidence of HIV and sexually transmitted infections. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention suggests certain risk factors that are directly tied to transphobia and the marginalization that transgender people face that can contribute to high infection rates. These risk factors include higher rates of drug and alcohol abuse, sex work, incarceration, homelessness, attempted suicide, unemployment, lack of family support, violence, stigma, and discrimination, limited healthcare access, and then negative healthcare encounters. You know, you've talked about this before, Taylor, but can you add a little more? Well, what you said is 100% correct. I mean, you hit the nail on the head again, but I do want to add that transgender people can go through cognition issues. So one thing that evolutionary psychologists have mentioned is that cognitive differences between males and females are due to labor differences. So men have greater physical strength, so they think more effortlessly about hunting or woodwork. And women are biologically meant to have children, so they're more cognitively inclined in the caretaking and homemaking department. So how does this pose an issue with transgender individuals? Gender-affirming hormone therapy, or GAHT, is what is given to develop desired sex characteristics. So GAHT can result in cognitive stress, impacting day-to-day well-being and function, and overall cognitive performance. And one last thing I want to mention is media influences on gender identity. That is so important, especially in this technological generation that we're in. The media's influence is powerful and has a significant impact on teenagers' sexual activity, alcohol consumption, illegal drug use, aggressive behavior, obesity, and eating disorders. So two major ways teenagers develop their gender identity is through the practices of alcohol drinking and romantic slash sexual relationships. So since identities are how we understand who we are, the media provides adolescents with ideas on how they should conduct themselves in society. So young men and women demonstrate certain gender roles that the media portrays and these behaviors can cause issues to say the least. So all of this can have an impact when it comes to how trans women and men act in society. So we are at the final section of this episode. And to conclude, Mary, what key things do Estes need to remember when treating transgender skin? When Estes are treating transgender skin, they need to remember to be progressive and not overly aggressive. The skin is under a lot of stress with hormones and conditioning the skin with a series of gradual treatments that build on intensity or aggressiveness is going to prevent any harsh side effects. Hormones can make the skin more photosensitive. So if you're treating your client for acne, consider starting them with home skincare products for a couple of weeks before you begin any kind of chemical peel or other exfoliating kind of treatment. 
looking for issues like rosacea and melasma, and being mindful of managing those skin issues is important also. If your client is coming in for hair removal services, being mindful that the hair growth is going to be influenced by hormone injections or oral medication, and it's going to change. If you're waxing, being careful not to lift skin that's become more sensitive and thinner. If you're performing laser treatments, you're going to want to evaluate the hair at every appointment for density and thickness, and then adjust your settings. And I'm going to get pretty frank here because I think it's important. But if a client is male to female transitioning and they're coming in for intimate hair removal services before they've had gender affirmation surgery, you're going to have to be really detailed because they use the penis in surgery to create a vaginal opening. So penises often have hair growing on them. So you have to eliminate that hair because I do know of some transgender clients who've had to deal with hair growing internally afterwards inside what would be that vaginal opening. And it's caused a lot of yeast infections and other problems. This is all very important, Mary, and I think the more frank you are, the better for Estes. We cannot sugarcoat anything when it comes to respecting the sensitivity and delicacy of the life-transforming procedures transgender clients will eventually go through and are going through. Yeah, you begin to see a real transformation as the transgender client begins to have their outer appearance begin to match their internal identity of themselves. I remember my first transgender client, Stephen. He came in for a consultation and he could hardly make eye contact with me. He didn't say anything about transitioning, but he was very detailed, taking notes during his consultation for hair removal. And he was in his late 50s. He had some gray hair. And I had to make sure that he knew that the laser wasn't going to treat the gray hair. Even after a series of laser treatments, the gray hair would still be there because gray hair doesn't have enough pigment for the laser to identify and kill, so to speak. But he scheduled an appointment for a couple of weeks out. I didn't think anything about it because I treated other cis men for facial hair who were just tired of shaving. So I didn't think anything special about his appointment. But about a week after his consultation, I got a letter from his physician telling me he was beginning the transitioning process. I was really fortunate that that physician and I could talk before each of his appointments. So I knew what medication she was on. I could look it up. I could check for side effects or precautions to any kind of treatment we had planned. I had a real learning experience with her. She eventually changed her name to Kimberly. And we worked on her hair removal and a skincare regimen for home. And we taught her makeup application techniques. And we even worked a little bit on hair and wardrobe choices. And over the course of about two years, you could see her personality and sense of humor come through. She could sit in our rating room and just look like a mature woman coming in for some kind of skincare service. It was really lovely. And she was so grateful. We got thank you cards and we were on her Christmas card list for years. Wow, that is such a beautiful story, Mary. I can only imagine the joy Kimberly felt knowing that she was accepted for who she was on the inside and had such a great support system between you and her physician. So at the school, we've had some trans clients come in and celebrate with us when they've reached milestones, like they've legally changed their name and their gender and their driver's license. They just blossom as people and it's a real emotional experience. I think particularly older clients who've 
grown up in a culture where they have to be in the closet to come in and feel like they're finally looking like who they have really been on the inside. It's really gratifying. Yeah, it brings me a lot of joy knowing that they feel themselves. I know when I start my psychology internship in July, that I will have some transgender clients. So I will definitely use a lot of this information to help them. So Mary, as we close out this episode, what are your three key takeaways? My takeaways from this episode are that transgender skin may take a little bit more time to get familiar with and is likely to undergo more changes during your course of treatment. So you have to remain flexible. And then I think you've got to consciously check yourself for any biases and treat your client with respect and kindness. Oh, I just love how you mentioned checking yourself for any biases. I cannot tell you how important that is. That is one of the first things they discuss in psychology is taking the time to really understand what you have problems with and what you are uncomfortable with and doing a thorough introspection. Well, anyway, my key takeaways are the importance of receiving the education to not only treat transgender skin, but to understand the psychological aspects of transitioning, victimization, discrimination, all of it. Also, the significance of treating transgender people like people. They're coming to you in a vulnerable, emotional, and physical state. So remember to treat them with equality, love, and respect. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillip. Until next time, keep educating yourself. Remember to stay open and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-host, Taylor, and our producers at Quill Inc.